With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. That is such an awesome, awesome intro cartoon, Billy. I'll give you a hat tip. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm here always with Billy Muzio, who's wearing some festive attire today for, <laughs> for 420. I don't know what 420 even is, but it's, uh, Billy, you look quite festive. And we have one of our favorite guys uh, in the studio today, Jared Smola. If you don't follow him now, he's just a fantastic follow on Twitter. And the work you're putting out with Draft Sharks is just tremendous, uh, Jared. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you're putting out in terms of of the projections, the written content, and also the great podcast you guys were putting out? Yeah, I feel thanks for having me on, guys. I, I feel ready to talk to you guys because I have completed my initial 2023 projections, which was you know basically the, the better part of my life for the past month or so. Uh, you know, deep dive, and I know you know, Billy does these too. He knows how it goes. Deep dive in every team, the coaching tendencies, the personnel, uh, you know, play volume, run pass split, all that fun stuff that kind of spits out these player projections, which I think are so important to do in fantasy football. And for us at draft sharks, what, what they, those projections fuel is our draft war room, which if you're not familiar, this is going to you know take those projections, apply them to your league's exact scoring rules. So if you're playing FFPC, if you're playing NFFC, you know, whatever it is, it's going to take those projections, apply them to that scoring system, spit out customized rankings for you. And then, you know, during the draft, you know, we, we call it a dynamic MVP value because these rankings are changing throughout the draft based on your team needs, based on ADP, based on what's still available in every position. So it's a super powerful drafting tool that I, I use um, every time I draft. And it's up and running now that our projections are ready for the season. I, I really enjoy it. And it also, you guys do a kind of a draft plan article that comes out later in the summer. Is that you and Matt or is that more of a collective team effort? Um, it, it's, it's collective. Um, you know, we're, we're basically t- looking at that draft forum and sort of seeing the results it spits out and just putting that in written form because people like to read it. They, they like to have it by their sides when they draft. No, it's, it's great. You guys definitely do some quality work, but one uh, article that might be the, the highlight of the year that you put out is you do, after you do the projections, you do the most important things I learned from it. 
How many numbers did you reach on your written article for that one? It was like 100 and something, right, Jared? It's 105 this year. It was 102 last year. It's not pre-planned. It's literally I just jot down stuff I think is interesting as I'm going through these projections. And whatever the final number ends up being, that's that's what it is. Why don't you share a few of – and you tweeted out 10 of them. Why don't you share just yeah. a couple that you're, you're into? And I'd like you to start with Drake London, a guy that Billy and I are both high on. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, London was – better over the second half of his rookie season than the first by basically any metric you look at. Now, people have you know correctly pointed out that Kyle Pitts was not on the field for most of the second half of that season. So that, I think, at least partly explains why London's volume climbed. He saw a 28.7% target share over the second half of last season. But it wasn't just the volume. It was you know yards per target, yards per outrun, 2.19 yards per outrun for Drake London over the second half of the season. That's an awesome number for any player, especially a rookie. Um, so it was, you know, it was a super encouraging rookie season for, for Drake London. I think we all know that we, we, we can definitely, you know, put some numbers to it. How about your Amon Ross St. Brown uh, takeaway? I I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know he's seen awesome volume, um, you know, basically from the, the final, what, uh, six or so games of, of his rookie season. But I think it's even overlooked a bit because he's missed some games and parts mm-hmm. of games with injuries. If you just look at his last 20 healthy games, I'm on Ross St. Brown has averaged 10.3 targets per game on a 29.6% target share. That is like elite. That's like, you know, Devonta Adams level volume from this guy. Where does he come in inside of your rankings? Why does your rankings this year? Would you mind sharing some of those projections? Cause when I first ran my projections, like I, he came in actually like ahead of AJ Brown in my rankings, uh, ahead of Devontae oh. Adams, and and I, I scaled it a little bit, but part of me wants to go back and put him back where I had him. Like I currently have him as wide receiver nine. He was wide receiver seven in my first run. Uh, when I take a look at that division, the NFC North, like I have him projected for twenty seven and a half percent target share. It's one hundred and sixty one targets. Um, roughly have met like, and this is down from his like expected catch rate because I don't think that his catch rate is sustainable right now, but I, I dropped yep. him down to like a, a 68% catch rate, 108 receptions, you know, a little over 1100 yards and eight scores. Is that in the ballpark you have him at? Like, do you have that information readily available? Yeah. And I can share all this stuff, whatever we want to talk about. Um, I have Amon Ross St. Brown as my wide receiver seven. It sounds like I I I, just, I kept him where he came out for you initially. I have him. He's I have him one point ahead of Devonte Adams in PPR, and then AJ Brown is like four or five points beneath those guys. And I'm yeah. listen. I'm I'm fine. I'm not going to argue if anyone wants to take Devonte Adams over Amon Ross St. Brown, but I'm yeah. for for now. I'm sticking with this ranking. Um, and yeah, my my numbers are pretty close to what you have, Billy. The other kind of sneaky. Thing with Amon Ra St. Brown is he adds a little production on the ground too. Yeah. Um, he had 61 yards in a score rushing as a rookie, you know, despite not being a full-time player that entire season. Then he had nine carries for 95 rushing yards last year. I mean, it, you know, it's 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 micro stuff, but that, that stuff matters when we're you know splitting hairs between someone like St. Brown and, and Devontae Adams. Yeah, I have him for like two percent of the rushing share now, which is a little over nine, nine rushing attempts. I have him for like 87 yards and I think yep. like half a score on the ground. Last year. Uh, Jared, you were you actually came on the Goat District pod with me and you were pounding the table for Dallas Goddard. Um, they, you know, you had him last year. I believe you had him ahead of Kittle. And that yes. was kind of like your your flag plant this year. You're also what you know, your data is is really, you know, making me not not like Kittle right now. What's the <laughs> takeaway you have? I didn't like reading this, yeah. Jared. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've been anti Kittle for a, a couple years now. It's worked out a little. Yeah, you know, didn't work out the tail end of last year. The tail end of last year, the man, the touchdown barrage he went on was just insane. Like I, I think that's kind of in, overinflating his value at this point. You get that great head start though with Dallas Goddard though. Like it was right. like people have to, you know, you, you when you look at the final season scoring versus contextualizing it over, you know, how your team did being able to start the year like six and one absolutely matters in terms of what sure. you do waiver wire wise. So maybe exactly. you could share the the takeaway here on George Kittle's target share. Yeah. So my Kittle note was, so 2021, he had a 21.9% target share that sunk to 18.7% over the course of the entire 2022 season. But if you look at the seven games that Kittle played with a healthy Debo Samuel plus Christian McCaffrey, just a 15.6% target share. Um, so I, I have serious volume concerns for Kittle this season with Debo there and McCaffrey now there for a whole season. Ayuk there, assuming he doesn't get traded. Um, and then on top of that, you have all the quarterback questions in San Francisco. So K- Kittle right now, I have him tight on nine in my rankings. You know, based on these projections, I might come up a little bit from there, but he's he's not not a guy I'm going to be getting a whole lot of at, at cost. How does that projection change for you if Purdy was healthy enough to start week one? We saw him kind of rely on him in a lot of big ways. Um, If we found out, and this is, of course, you know, let's play, let's just, in a hypothetical world, let's say that news broke today, Purdy's healthy, and we knew he was starting week one. Where does Kittle move in your rankings? Yes, you know, I I have Kittle for an 18% target share right now. So I'm not like going with that 15 and a half percent that he saw in those seven games with, with yeah. Debo and McCaffrey. I think he's going to see more than that. The, the thing that would change for me, if we were assuming that Purdy was going to be under center the entire season, would I would bring San Francisco's pass rate up a decent amount. I would just, you know, more targets for the entire team. Um, Kittle would, would definitely rise. He could, you know, the, the gap between Kittle and even my tight end six is only nine points. So like if I made that change with Purdy, Kittle could could pretty easily get up to tight end six for me. That's about where I have him. And then Jared, you also do a comeback player of the year article um in Draft Sharks and a breakout player of the year article in Draft Sharks. And a couple of years ago, you did pretty well with your maybe you could just share your back to back comeback players of the year because they both hit pretty well. Yeah, two years ago was Cooper Cup, and that was probably the best call we've had at Draft Sharks since I've been there. Last year was Saquon Barkley. That was a hit. That one almost felt too easy. <laughs> like, I know, you know, we, we have to cater to some of the um, less serious players as well. So I'm sure it helped them more than because I know in high stakes leagues, you know, Saquon was a back end of the first round pick by the time we got to August. But that was obviously a nice hit too. That that one, again, that one was just easy for me. Like, we know the talent is there. The guy just, the guy just said to stay healthy and he did. And he, he smashed last year. Yeah, they invested in the O line last year. It was a pretty. It was my comeback player of the year last year as well. Yeah, inside one of my articles, so I fully agree there. Do you? Is that an article where you're doing that solo, or is that a team collective effort? And and are there a couple oh. candidates right now that you're? Do you guys do start early on this one? There are definitely collective efforts, and you know, there's a lot, a lot of back and forth to put it nicely when we're you know trying trying to decide on those. Uh, we we haven't talked about this year's picks yet I, we usually you know we all get together for the nfl draft so we'll get together um you know next thursday friday saturday we'll start to hash some of that stuff out then awesome well we highly uh recommend jared's work over at draft sharks and definitely check out the pods as well and we're gonna get uh into this off season uh and really really hit it after a word from our one of our sponsors hey it's the pod father now in the off season I get into baseball, I get into basketball, and my preferred platform to play fantasy sports 
is Rival Fantasy because Rival Fantasy has challenges where you can just take a guy and say, hey, this guy's going to score more fantasy points than this guy. They put two shortstops together. Pick one. Point guards. Pick one. Spoiler alert, you should pick Damian Lillard. <laughs> or they have the fantasy book where you could pick over, under, over, under, over, under, and up to five guys. And then the more you pick, your potential payout quickly escalates. And finally, I submit a bingo card because you can just go over, under, over, under, over, under across the board, get your fantasy bingo card set, submit it. I'm not the biggest basketball or baseball expert, but I have a hell of a lot of fun playing fantasy sports on RivalFantasy.com. And the best part is with promo code PLAYER, they refund up to $50 of any losses. So the promo code there is PLAYER on RivalFantasy.com. Go have some fun. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, Billy, to keep with today's theme, we, we've had... We've had sort of high expectations for some of these running backs who have changed places this year. You know, we talked with Mike Leone last week, and we talked with Derek Brown about the same subject matter because it's, you know, Billy and I, we, we've really enjoyed talking about it because you can kind of galaxy brain your way to thinking some, a lot of these guys kind of landed pretty well. Where are you at, Jared? Is Where's your favorite um, running back landing spot that kind of gets you excited? And maybe share two. I think one of them is kind of low-hanging fruit but there's a couple of them you can make an argument for. Well, I'm curious to know who the low-hanging fruit is now. It's David Montgomery for me. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and he'd be the second guy on my list here. You know, you use the word excited for this question, so that's sort of <laughs> what I went with. And this probably isn't the wisest guy to invest in, but it's a guy I'm excited about. It's Rashad Penny. In the oh, you took mine. <laughs> okay, good, good, cool. Perfect. <laughs> listen, I mean, we all, we all know about the injury stuff, and – like, who knows? Maybe he ends up playing four games again this season. But, like, when the guy has been healthy, he's been awesome. Career 5.7 yards per carry. That's second best among 96 running backs with 200-plus carries since 2018. Uh, Penny was fifth among 67 qualifiers in PFF's elusive rating last year. He was first among 77 qualifiers in 2021. And now he, you know, he lands in a great spot in Philadelphia, a team that's still going to be run-leaning. The O-line is still going to be awesome. This coming season, Miles Sanders just finished running back 15 in PPR points in Philly last season. I, I think Penny is a much more talented runner than Miles Sanders. So I think he could finish at least that high if he stays healthy this season. Billy, anything to add? I think that's a really interesting take about the the pure talent uh, standpoint. Stand, like that's 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 a great take. I mean, he's been so like had so many injuries to deal with, but coaches can never move on from Rashad Penny. <laughs> It's like that's a sign of like a super, super talented guy. And he had early draft capital as well. Billy, your thoughts? Yeah. When, so Jared hit on a lot of the, the points. But when you look at just like his last two years, like he's over over six yards a carry. And I know it's a limited it's a limited snap share or limited rushing attempts. It's a little over 160 rushing attempts. But he was the RB1 down the stretch in 2021, the year Jonathan Taylor, you know, broke out and went nuts and was the first round draft pick in fantasy. And I mean, Penny was 
running back one during that time span. He outproduced Jonathan Taylor. The question is not about talent with Rashad Penny. It's always been about health. And now he gets to run behind arguably the best offensive line of football where he's not going to be taking, you know, immediate hits past the line where he could potentially, you know, prolong his health a little bit further in the season. I know that's going to be, you know, a big assumption, hoping that Rashad Penny stays healthy. But if he does stay healthy, he's the type of back that has legit RB1 upside inside this offense, especially with the game scripts and what they're going to see from a positive uh, pace of play for for the running backs. Um, since Jared talked about Penny, I want to I'll shift gears here and talk about Damian Harris. Um, you know, I, I like the landing spot for him. I mean, we take a look at at what this team has done. They've lacked an inside runner. They've lacked somebody to run between the tackles and to get goal line touches. I think Damian Harris brings that skill set over to this team. He also has the ability to catch the ball. So he's not going to, they're not going to be telegraphing their plays per se with, you know, Cook on the field versus Harris in the field. It's going to open up a lot of opportunity for him. We know this team needs to have another playmaker, right? Gabe Davis wasn't it last year. We'd still have to be seen if he's going to be able to do it in 2023. But I think we see a little bit more balanced attack, and they don't just completely rely on Josh Allen this year in 2023. They're going to have to be, in my opinion. And I think by them bringing in Damian Harris, it allows them to be able to have a more balanced attack and not have to rely on Cook, who, in my opinion, frame probably not going to be able to withstand 230, 240 touches in a season. So Damian Harris, in my opinion, the landing spot is perfect for his skill set. Should see a good, you know, game script and, and be able to really kind of elevate his game here in Buffalo. Jared, your thoughts on on Damian Harris? Because I'm interested to see, you know, you're you're an upstate New York guy. Um, you know, we talked with Billy and I were kind of having this conversation where it seems like they fundamentally need a, a kind of a second fiddle to Stephon Diggs in that offense. Mm-hmm. The balance approach just doesn't seem to be cutting it. You know, we saw yeah. them exposed last playoffs. I'll, I'll have a two twofold. Your thoughts on the Buffalo running back situation, and then which would be the second Buffalo Bill besides Stephon Diggs if you could roster one of them? Yeah, so I think Harris is an upgrade over Devin Singletary. I mean, my eyes tell me that, and the numbers tell me that. Harris has beat Devin Singletary in rush yards over expected per attempt in each of the last three seasons now. Now, the what's keeping me from getting too excited about Harris in fantasy is, one, I don't know how much he's going to do in the passing game. Now, the, Allen doesn't throw to his running backs much in general. And then when he does this season, it might be Cook taking most of that. And then two, like, is Allen going to gonna let Harris have some of these goal line touchdowns, right? And the, the talk in, in Buffalo offseason has been Allen running less, at least a little less, protecting his body a bit more as he gets older. I, I don't totally buy into that. I mean, I think once the, once the game start and the Bulls start flying, like, he, that it's such a big part of his game. I don't know. But if, if you know, Harris can just siphon, like, two, three, four rushing touchdowns, you know, from Josh Allen, he could easily score 10 or 12 times. And if he does that, he's going to be, you know, a a big value at his current cost. And just your thoughts on James Cook, because I'll take a devil's advocate approach. I think maybe this makes James Cook a little bit more affordable um, because, you know, the perception of the split backfield. But that was a guy whose talent I liked last year. Um, You know, I think he flashed at times. Obviously, you know, the final numbers weren't anything great, but I do believe in the talent. Do you think that that's, do you disagree with me on that, or is that? I like the talent. I I, I never liked the landing spot for him, um, and it's part you know that reason I mentioned that Allen just hasn't you know mobile quarterbacks in general. I mean, we know they don't throw to running backs as much, right? Because they're they're taking off and running rather than checking down. Um, now, now Buffalo can design stuff for Cook in the passing game, and they should because they spent a second round pick on him, and he is good in the passing game, right? But um, I just I 
I, I always saw him as someone who, and I think Billy alluded to it, like he's not, he's not going to get huge volume, right? Like you're hoping for like eight carries per game, then a bunch of work in the passing game. And I just, I'm not sure I like his chances of getting huge volume in the passing game in, 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 in Buffalo. Well, let's just hope that it's not a, a, a three-man split with Naeem Hines just kind of messing oh. everything up. And let's hope at least it's a two-man split, and then we can kind of, you know, take shots on that because it is going to be a very good offense again. Two players that changed hands uh, this offseason from the pass-catching perspective are DJ Moore in Chicago and Darren Waller in New York. Billy and I have talked at length about Darren Waller and our expectations for him this year. We're, we're bullish on, on the situation. Your thoughts on how Waller's going to do? You have a lot of familiarity with, with Brian Dable and how you think he'll do in his offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i a little lower than consensus on Darren Waller at this point, I think. Um, you know, he he turns 31 in December. Like, you know, we, we tight end him as though. a younger... Yeah, so that's I, like I a baby it. for a tight end. That's like they, it's, it's <laughs> like right. uh, it's like a right. fine wine. It's a fine wine, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, if you look at stuff like you know, Pro Football Focus receiving grades and yards per out run, he was elite for a three season stretch from what would it be 2018 to 2020. But the last two years, he's been he's been good. He hasn't been great. And I know he, you know he had a bunch of injuries last year. Maybe you can blame it on that. Or maybe again, like I said, he's 31. So maybe he, he is on the decline. I, I like the, the landing spot. I'm a big fan of Brian Dable. There are a bunch of bodies in the Giants wide receiver core, but like no one I'm worried about. I mean, Waller, I'd consider him the favorite at this point to yeah. lead the Giants in, in targets per game. You know, there's obviously not many tight ends you can say that about. So I'm still trying to figure out exactly where, where I land on Waller. You know, I, I have no issue with where he's priced in drafts right now, but I guess I don't see him as like a screaming value at, at ADP at this point. Where do you have him in target share for the team? I mean, the tight end last year was just a thorn in general from a breakings and projection standpoint. Yeah. Um, when we look at his his target share this year, like I have him at 18%, which, mm-hmm. you know, this, this team doesn't throw a lot to begin with, but um, you, you, you alluded to the receivers being, you know, less than competent. I mean, yeah. Hodgins, Harris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Wandell Robinson, Darius Slayton, Jameson Crowder. I think four of those names might get 16 games combined out of them, right? <laughs> where yeah. where if he landed somewhere where they have more weapons, I'd probably be less high on him. I think I have him as tight end six right now. Um, uh, so I am a little higher, but I'm not as high as yep. I've seen in the industry. But I'd be curious on on what your target share distribution is. Yeah, so I, I have Waller tight end eight. Uh, so he, I have him above Kittle. I have him behind David Njoku and Pat Fryermuth. But again, I could I could see those guys, you know, flipping spots. I I have Waller for a nineteen percent target share, so I'm actually a okay. bit ahead of you. I, I I'm glad you alluded to you know the the Giants being this run leading offense, which they were last year. They finished twenty fifth in the NFL yeah. in pass attempts last season. They were twenty fourth in pass rate over expected. Maybe they pass a little more this season, you know, with Daniel Jones in his second season or Dable. But to me, it's you know it's still a Saquon Barkley led offense. I don't think you're going to get a huge increase in in pass volume. Yeah, pass volume, I think I have him projected for like 554 passing attempts, which is, I think, like bottom 10 in the league still. Yep. Um, you know, it's just the expected pass play is just not there for this team. And maybe they try to get that going more in year two with Dable and Daniel Jones as they get more chemistry together. And I think they leaned pretty heavily on the run game. Um, I think that we might see a little bit more balanced, but I would not expect them to be, you know, top 15 in the league in that category at all. I want to also touch on DJ Moore. Uh, Billy 
and I think are a little bit apart on DJ Moore. Where do you have DJ Moore right now, Billy? It's wide receiver 30-something, correct? So he came in with a move. I had him prior to the move. He was like wide receiver 21. <laughs> um, after the move, he came in at wide receiver 30. Um, and it just breaks down again to the expected pass attempts. I mean, Chicago was, you know, bottom bottom three in the league. Um, and I I know we're going to see efficiencies, but I accounted for those efficiencies. And we're still going to see a low pass attempt, low, low pass attempts inside this offense. Add in now that he has some competition and targets where he hasn't really in the past. Um, and I have some concerns about him. I, when I even take a look at the projections and just the, like, the raw stats, I haven't projected for you know twenty six and a half percent of the of the of the target share, which is roughly one hundred and thirty seven targets. You know he hasn't had a great catch percentage through his career. I even gave him a bump in that category up to fifty nine percent, which is high now for him from his from his averages. Right, it gives him eighty eighty receptions. I gave him a bump in yards per reception, which gave him a little over a thousand yards, and then I even gave him a bump in touchdown percentage, which took him a little over six, which would be, I think, his career high, right? Or at least tied with what he's done. And so there's a lot of questions with DJ Moore. I get this offense is looking better than it has, and it's a better offense than what he's been on, but I just don't know if they have enough pass attempts to really support him as a top 24 receiver anymore. And I'll take, before you answer, Jared, I'm taking the kind of the devil's advocate approach where, I believe that players dictate the schemes and the and the touches. And I think DJ Moore, like he's the kind of talent where, you know, you reference the target competition. I don't think those guys are the kind of players that are going to take away from DJ Moore. I think that if he's somehow settles into like wide receiver 30 and ADP, I'm going to have a lot of him. I think that we kind of beat up these guys because of the, the p- potential bad situations a little too much. Amari Cooper last year, DK Metcalf last year, Brandon Cooks in 2021. I'm not saying he's Stephon Diggs, but Stephon Diggs was like wide receiver 28 in that 2020 magical year. Where are you at on a player like DJ Moore in Chicago, Jared? Yeah, I'm very close to Billy here. I actually have Billy beat by one. I have DJ Moore wide receiver 31 right now, which feels horrible. I wish I could rank him higher. But... <laughs> and I mean, yeah, B- Billy nailed it and this is why doing projections is so important but like by the way projections are not the end-all be-all there's so much subjectivity that goes into them like yeah if theo if you're right and if chicago passes at a league average rate then you know dj moore is is going to smash where billy and i haven't ranked and and we actually we do do floor and ceiling projections uh, on draft sharks too that everyone can see and those those are super important to look at but yeah i'm on board with, with billy here i mean the bears had the they had, you know, they they were dead last in pass attempts last season, but it wasn't even close. Thirty-eight fewer pass attempts than any other team last season. So, you know, I have I have them projected for sixty-four more pass attempts this season. That still only gets them to four hundred forty-one total, which is is not a lot. And Theo, I'm with you. I mean, I think DJ Moore is going to dominate target share. I think Billy agrees with us, right? Billy, you have him at twenty-six and a half percent. Yep, I have him at twenty-seven percent. Those are that's a huge target share, but. 27% of 440, it's, it's still not not a huge number. I'm yeah, going to go with the unan- unanalytical pie grows larger <laughs> argument, guys. You cannot beat the pie grows larger argument in fantasy football. <laughs> Billy, go ahead. You had one more thing to say? Yeah, I was going to say, I even gave him a, a larger bump than Jared did. Right? I took him just above 500 attempts, which is a very oh. aggressive inside the expected pass attempts from this volume. 
I do expect them to be on the field more. I expect them to complete more third downs, but still, this is a run first team and we're going to see them, you know, with, with, with fields continue to run the ball. And, you know, they brought in another, you know, ground and pound back. They still have Khalil Herbert. They're still going to run the ball between those three backs, you know, and I, I think it might be a stretch for them to get above 500 attempts. I do. I think they're going to be probably in the high fours. Um, but this was me trying to, trying to be generous here. Right. And I think even though these are my mean projections, this might be the ceiling projection for this offense with pass attempts. And let it, the record show Billy is so down on Deonta Foreman. He won't even say his name. <laughs> he just says his archetype. He will just refer to him by his archetype grounded yeah. bound guy. Uh, Jared, Jared, one wide receiver, which, you know, anybody who's been listening to first class fantasy or the dominator or the Sonic truth podcast knows that we're very high on Chris Olave. And we expect a lot out of him. What do you think the the Derek Carr impact is going to be with Olave and the Saints this year? Yeah, and I'm very high on Chris Olave too. I mean, to me, he had a better rookie season than Garrett Wilson. Even. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. I feel like, but my con- concern with Olave is again the offensive environment, like it is for DJ Moore, and it's nowhere near as extreme in New Orleans. But you know, last year the Saints were 29th in situation neutral pace. They were 30th in situation neutral pass rate, 26th in pass rate over expected. So it was a slow paced run leaning, run heavy offense even. Is Derek Carr going to change that a ton? I don't think he's good enough to turn them into you know a team that's going to be top 10 in pass rate. I do have them projected to throw more this season. And I, and I like a lot of it. I think he's, I think he's fairly priced. And I don't think you're even getting a bargain on him, but I have no issue with where he's going in ADP. My, my only hesitation is I just, don't think this is going to be you know a high octane offense in New Orleans even with Derek Carr. Yeah, I, I think that the like for me it's he Derek Carr has been able to elevate his pass catchers every single year. You know Devonte Adams last year, Hunter Renfro finished inside the the wide receiver one line. He was like wide receiver eleven, and then those two seasons where you referenced Darren Waller, that was also with Derek Carr as his primary primary weapon. So we're, I'm very very excited. Him, I think the offense aside. I think that the chances of Chris Olave beating his ADP is is safe. I think he could be like wide receiver eight when the season's over. Uh, Billy, anything to add on on our Olave love fest? Yeah, I did give uh, this offense a slight uptick in, in pass attempts. I think I added thirty for the year. Um, when we look at Derek Carr, I think we'll see a little bit more efficiencies. A little, they, Derek Carr in general just throws the ball more than what we've seen the Saints do the past couple of years. Um, I think the biggest question, and I think this is going to be the part that's going to really affect Chris Olave in 2023 more than anything, more than Derek Carr, more than the coaching scheme, is going to be Michael Thomas and how much Michael Thomas is on the field. Because if we do get you know, close to a full season from Michael Thomas, then I think I might have Chris Olave overprojected from a target share standpoint. However, where Michael Thomas is at this point in his career, I don't expect him to play the full season. And we're already seeing he's already having a toe issue again. Right. And so if if we do know that Michael Thomas is going to miss four, six games, whatever it may be, play four, six games. Yeah, exactly. Right. If if we could project that out accurately today, I would argue that Chris Olave should be probably around one pick because they don't have the depth at the wide receiver position to really support any other weapon because we still have a looming suspension for Alvin Kamara, who could technically be, you know, 80 targets, 70 targets if he plays the whole season. And so there's a lot of uncertainty inside this offense and we might see this perfect storm like we did last year with Josh Jacobs where everything went wrong for it to go right for him, where it Mm -hmm. might happen in in this regard with a wide receiver here 
with Chris Olave. I mean, think yep. about Michael Thomas being gone. Think about Alvin Kamara being gone, right? Now they have Jamal Williams, who is, you know, going to be the goal line back now. Tight end wise, great. They got Juwan Johnson, but Taysom Hill is probably been running the ball. So there's not a lot of pass attempts that's going to be eaten out of this pie for Chris Olave if everything kind of goes wrong for the Saints to go right for him. So I think he could smash ADP. It just, there's a lot of uncertainty. Every offseason, we seem to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. It's just a high-profile team with a, an owner that's that that's very much involved, to say the least. And we had the initial kind of gross gross out from the Mike McCarthy taking over a, a bigger part of the offensive uh, scheme role, Kellen Moore moving on, and, and Schottenheimer taking over as OC. But I feel like the narrative's kind of changed a little bit. I kind of like what's going on in Dallas, where they move on from Zeke Elliott, you have Dalton Schultz leaving for Houston, so you and you add Brandon Cooks, and now the Michael Gallup looks healthy. What are your expectations for this offense, Jared? This year, um, are you bullish on the on the, the Cowboys right now? Or are you bearish? Yeah, I mean the, the OC change has me a little nervous, and for me, it's it's not it's not the run pass split I'm worried about. Da- Dallas was run heavy last season they 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 were, they were at 52 percent pass for the season only they were 25th in pass rate over expected so like you know, i don't think they're gonna go run i haven't projected to even throw at a higher clip this season than last the, the one thing that worries me about the shift from kellen moore to brian schottenheimer the cowboys were top two in situation neutral pace in each of the past three seasons under kellen moore Brian Schottenheimer's last three Seahawks offenses finished 18th, 24th, and 22nd in pace. And then even if you want to look at Mike McCarthy, his last three Green Bay offenses, you know, his last three offenses without Kellen Moore were 19th, 25th, and 20th in pace. So, you know, under Kellen Moore, we could rely on the Cowboys being this high-volume, fast-paced offense. I don't think that's going to be the case this season, which, you know, takes the luster off these guys at least a little bit. Theo, I like this guy. We should get Jared on all the time because I'm agreeing with everything he has said today. Guy's uh, sharp. We, <laughs> we talked about the reasons why I was high on, on the Chargers, right? And it's the exact, it's the same thing that he's just talking about. I mean, Kellen Moore's offensive, when this is the reason why I'm lower in general on the offense outside of Zeke for Dallas, but Kellen Moore from 2019 to 2022, second in total offense, second in total yards per game, second or third in points per game, Third in first downs, third in EPA per play, and four and fourth in third down percentage. So I'm really high on the Chargers this year. I think that Cowboys made a mistake by letting him go. I really do. Um, and it's, I think, they were stu- they were absolutely stupid. Oh, he was the I scapegoat, mean, is what it yeah, was. It's ridiculous. And quite frankly, that should have been McCarthy, and more should have been, honestly, in my opinion, promoted. But that's the whole other story. But I, I think that when we look at Dallas in general, it's pretty clear to say that they look to be throwing more here in 2023. They bring in Brandon Cooks, right? They they kept Tony Pollard, who's been you know electric in the passing game and just explosive in general. Um, they still have Lamb, who was just phenomenal last year. Uh, I, I would expect this team to really lean into the passing game this year. I think it's going to depend on the draft and who they take as that RB2, but I do see kind of a, a more two-down back that they're going to take inside the draft here and then lean on Tony Pollard for his explosiveness and ability in the passing game and then lean on you know Brandon Cook's addition, lean on uh, Lamb, and then Gallup as their wide receiver three. So I, I still like this offense, but I would have liked it so much more had Kellen Moore stayed. And let's let's stay with Dallas, and this is a follow-up, Jared. 
I think Tony Pollard right now is kind of a litmus test. He's going around like the early round three. He's going right around, let's call him running back 11-ish, running back 12. Uh, last year, he finished his running back eight. Zeke is completely out of the way. <clears throat> Before the NFL draft, do you think that Pollard is a value here, or do you have big trepidations that they're going to do something in the NFL draft that could maybe hurt him? I'm in on Pollard. I have him RB9 right now, and even my projections there are even a bit conservative in case they do add a running back, say, on you know, day two, I, I, which I think is possible. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily consider it likely. I think they're, they're going to add something, but it definitely could be a day three guy. Um, I, I had this note in my 105 things article, but Tony Pollard has top 50% snap rate in 11 career games. He's averaged 19.2 PPR points in those 11 games. And I, I think that's, you know, the type of workload he's going to get this season. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in on Pollard. Guess where, we, guess where I have my running back rankings, Jared? RB9? RB9? Nice. <laughs> the, I, 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 I've said that I think that I agree with you, Jared. I think that they're, they're going to add a running back on day two, but I don't think besides like Jameer Gibbs, I don't think there's like a bunch right. of running backs that could take away Pollard as a receiver. And also the fact that we have no Dalton Schultz. I like Lamb and Pollard as familiar targets for, for Dak Prescott being great values. I think when we get down to it and we're drafting main of FFPC main events at the end of the summer, I think it's going to be such a common start to have like Justin Jefferson at the one with Tony Pollard at that two, three turn. I think that's going to be like, if he's there, I think that's going to be like a very common one. And I wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks into like 20, 21, 22 territory. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd be, I'd be comfortable drafting him in, in the middle of round two. But barring you know someone like Gibbs or I guess maybe Charbonnet might worry, worry me a little more, but if you know if he avoids those two guys and Bijan, obviously I'd, I'd feel comfortable with him as a you know mid round two pick. Yeah, and definitely check out our show with Dwayne McFarland from yesterday, uh, where we hit on a number of these rookies. Um, but today we're we're hitting on some veterans, guys, and I want to just get Jared's. At, we all play FFPC. We all enjoy it. What is your current FFPC redraft top five, Jared? Let's yeah, I mean, it's for, run. For, yeah, for main. Let's say for if it's an FFPC main event, how are you going? One, two, yep. three, four, five. Yeah, I have it. Jefferson, Tyreek, Chase, Kelsey, Cup. Okay, Kelsey, Cup, and no running back in there. No running back in there. I'd have Love a running that. back at, at six. McCaffrey, Eckler. Oh, okay. Love it. Love it. So for the record, Jared Smola is a zero, have, have zero RB guy this year. You have him like seven, eight CMC. Uh, uh, I mean, he's my R. Yeah, he he's he's my RB two, so he'd be you know, pr- probably right right behind Eckler there. Yep. Billy, go ahead and name your top five right now for for FFPC. I have Jefferson, Chase, CMC, Kelsey, and then I have Tyreek. And I think you could argue Eckler in there as well as five. So I have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Travis Kelsey, then Tyreek Hill at four, but I could, you know, I, him and Kelsey to me are flip flop and then CMC at five. Just curious, Jared, you push Cooper cup in there. Do you have any, any like hesitation because of the quality of the offense? Uh, the fact that he played half the year last year, like we love cup and you're talking mm-hmm. about 25 points a game, 22 points a game, but we do have question marks about the Rams. Are you think that that's uh, correct or 
it's 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 a definitely a fair concern. Questions about the Rams. Question about you know Cup coming off that injury. Um, God, he was he was better in eight games last year than he was in 2021. More targets per game, more catches per game, better yards per route run last year than he had in 2021. So, like you know, there were no signs of of slowing down. So I I do have you know some of those concerns baked into my into my projections, but he still comes out wide receiver four for me because I think he's going to still see so much volume and he's still going to be, you know, well above average in terms of the efficiency stuff. Uh, stick with Austin Eckler. You, you, so Eckler is your RB one, Billy, where do you have Eckler finishing among your RB rankings right now? I have him pretty solid at RB two. I have him about 30 point 20, a little over 20 points than over Jonathan Taylor as RB three. And Jared, how close are CMC and Eckler in your rankings? Yeah, I mean they're within ten points. Let me pull it up again. Yeah, they're they're eight points apart. Um, you're just you you, you kind of see a repeat here with Eckler. You have you know <laughs> promise with the Chargers offense. What's kind of pushing him up to RB one? Well, yeah, I'm definitely big on the Chargers offense for all the reasons Billy said. I, I have been for the past. Um, few years it's burned me at times but i'm definitely in on the chargers <laughs> again um ackler is so funny because before i actually did projections i thought i was going to be below market on him then uh, you sit down and, and, and do him and look at what he did last year i mean ackler's role last year was absurd he, he had 127 targets that was 19 more than any other running back he scored 18 touchdowns right which feels unsustainable and it probably is like i don't have him projected for 18 again but Austin Eckler had 17.5 expected touchdowns last year. So like he didn't even really overachieve the, the role he was given, the touchdown opportunity he received. So like, I don't know. I mean, and, and, and I have, you know, his efficiency coming down a little and, and, you know, maybe the change in OC adds some risk to, to his role changing, but I think that's unlikely. And if you know, he's in anything close to the role he had last year, I feel really good about him as, you know, like a, a middle of the first round pick. I love it. And that kind of ruins my my next question where I had an Eckler LinkedIn. So we'll leave Eckler out of this equation here. Right now, the back half of the first round in like the never too early tournament for FFPC, you're seeing Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, and let's push Bijan Robinson into this into this equation of these three running backs. Who would you be most comfortable selecting at cost and who would you be least comfortable selecting Bijan? Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor. Do you want ADPs on those right now? They're close. Like, Billy, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like 8, 10, 12. Yeah, JT, 7.8 right now. Saquon Barkley, 10.9. Bijan is 14.2. So all very close. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, that that's the order I have these guys in. Sorry to be boring. Um, but I do have, you know, JT, 3, Barkley, 4, Bijan, 5. J- JT, I still think he's just such a massive massive talent i don't know if people have forgot about it because he had he had the injury stuff exactly last year right. um I, I i do think the colts offense is, is going to bounce back this, you know we'll see what they do at quarterback in the draft but you know, i like Stike in there i think the o-line is still good enough it's not what it was you know two or three years ago but and then he, taylor even has shown more in the passing game than i i think we you know, thought might be the case when he was coming into the league. So yeah, he's not going to be Austin Eckler and catch 80 passes, but I think if he's healthy, he could catch 50 or 60 pretty easily. And they have no Heinz. No Heinz. Yep. That was that was kind of my argument last week is I'm don't love drafting him in the 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 that in that range just because of the quality of the wide receiver position. 
Yep. And I see him as more of a guy that's going to average. If it works out, I think he's more of a 17 point per game guy than a guy who's going to go north of 20. And I think that the number of those wide receivers there have that in their outcome. So he's interesting. Uh, Want to stick with uh, changes this offseason. We finally saw Tom Brady move on from Tampa Bay. Do you think we've reached a point, guys? This is for both of you guys. That Tampa Bay skill position players are maybe too beat up right now, or are they not beat up enough? Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Billy, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at about wide receiver 28 and about wide receiver 33. I'm loading the receivers right now. Um, Godwin is going as FFPC 50.5. Evans is going as 73.2 right now. Yeah, so it's about about right with 28 and 33. Let's call them both inside of the wide receiver three line. Godwin, people are a little bit more bullish, and, and I think they're really betting against Mike Evans, your thoughts on those two guys, Jared? Yeah, I have Godwin a few spots higher than ADP. I have Evans like right at ADP. I'm less worried about the quarterback play in Tampa and more worried about the general offensive environment. I guess that's kind of been the theme of this show today. But uh, I mean, so Tampa over the last four seasons, they have ranked fourth, sixth, first, and then first in pass attempts. They've also been top four in the NFL in, in total plays in three of those four seasons. I think that's going to change drastically with no Tom Brady this season. I think the, the plays are coming down. I think the pass rate is coming down. So I have them projected for um, 114 fewer pass attempts this season than they had last season, which is just massive. What's um, the number you have them for? The uh, let me, I'll pull it up. I had. I had the 114 in my notes. So I have Tampa for 556 pass attempts. I'm 568, so we're really close. Yeah. That's that's just huge. That's just so many targets going away yeah. from these guys. Yeah, if we would have kept the same trajectory, it would have been like high six sixes. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this. Since I think that the argument is, to me, it's that Baker can't support two wide receivers. It's just difficult to see that. Do you think it could be that one of them becomes a much better value. And which one would you rather have Chris Godwin at wide receiver 28 or Mike Evans at wide receiver 33? Start with Jared. I'd I'd rather take Godwin. I I like Godwin at that price. Um, Evans is fine. Like if he slips past it, I might take him, but um, I just, I I think not to say Evans is done, but I just think, you know, at his age, we've seen the best from Mike Evans. I think we maybe have not seen the best from, Chris Godwin, yeah, considering his age, considering the fact you know he's another year removed from the ACL now. Billy, yeah, I would like to start off by saying that I'm higher on both these than the community is in general. Um, I think this is one of those things where I think the weapons will elevate the quarterback play. Right, Evans is is although he is getting up in age, he's still six foot five. Right, he's still <laughs> two hundred and thirty pounds. Whereas somebody like like Baker can just throw it up to him. And Evans can go up and get that contested catch. I do agree with Jared, though, that I prefer Chris Godwin, though, because we're going to see um, anytime a quarterback struggles, and we know Baker has struggled in his career, will tend to lean on you know the underneath routes, the short intermediate route trees, and I think that will benefit Chris Godwin. Plus, he's younger, he's a little bit more athletic. You know, he's going to be able to get get more separation. So I think that will benefit Chris Godwin more. Um, honestly, I think this is why I'm so high on Rashad White as well is the dump offs that we're probably going to see in this offense and and the usage from the run game. I think they're going to lean a little bit more 
this way than they have in the past. And so that's why I'm as high as I am on White. But I, I would agree with Jared. Chris Godwin is the receiver to own in this 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 wide receiver core. And let's make that three for three because I also do like Godwin right there. And I would have like Evan seems like the kind of guy that when he falls off, it's he's going to really, really fall off. And you just can't ever predict it in the NFL. If they were a more normal franchise, I feel like he would have gotten traded. Like, let's trade Mike Evans to Jared's Buffalo Bills and let's have like a nice bounce. That would be a wonderful pickup. Uh, But let's stick with Rashad White because that's a guy that I'll agree with Billy. I'm very bullish on him. Let's call him about running back 25. You know, last year we saw a massive amount. It's obviously Tom Brady effect, but there was a massive amount of targets to the running back position, but a lot of them left with Leonard Fournette. And we saw Rashad White flash, um, you know, showing his receiving skills at a young age. What are your thoughts on him this year? Do you think he could be a a value here at RB25 or is he limited by the offense? I'm high on White right now, too. I'm gonna, And I say right now because I'm really curious to see what the NFL draft is going to bring to that back. But I have Rashad White RB18 right now in, in full PPR. Um, now, I if I'm drafting today, I probably wouldn't draft them quite that high because I'm a bit worried that they add something else. But, like, if again, if, if we get through day two and they don't add anything, he's White's probably going to stay around RB18 for me. I'm, I feel comfortable that he is a strong pass catching back. He looked like a strong pass catching back coming into the league last year. He had nice, you know, raw receiving numbers last year. You look at stuff like yards per route run and pro football focus receiving grade. He fared well in those metrics last year. As a runner, he was bad last year. And I know it was a tough situation in Tampa. You know, Fournette wasn't good either. The O-line oh, had a bunch boy. of injuries. But so among 151 running backs with 90 plus carries last season, White ranked 46th in PFF rushing grade, 41st in elusive rating, 45th among those 51 in rush yards over expected per attempt. So again, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa adds something else to the backfield to, to you know compete with White at least for, for those early down snaps. Yeah, I mean he survived free agency with only Chase Edmonds there. Um, but yeah, that's it's kind of like a Matthew McConaughey true detective meme for any Rashad White dynasty manager guy, pretty much the entire yes. first round with Bijan and then Day two, there's some guys that could really, really hurt Rashad White. So let's hope if you're a Rashad White manager that nobody's drafted until day three. I think if they do that, then they're they're pretty big on Rashad White. Um, we Billy and I have been, you know, we talked about Alave, but pretty much every single show, we somehow talk about the second year wide receivers because it's such a fantastic group of them. And we view a lot of them as values at ADP. But Sometimes it doesn't work out with the whole wide re- uh, second-year wide receivers or cheat code narrative. Last year, we saw Devonta Smith absolutely crush his ADP, but when these guys miss, they really miss. Brandon Ayuk and Chase Claypool were both drafted as wide receiver twos in, in 2021. We all saw what happened with Debo Samuel, um, and Chase Claypool obviously fell off that year. We all saw LaVisca Chenault also steamed up. He was a very popular guy late in the summer. He was going as like a high-end wide receiver three. Pour one out for all our LaVisca Chenault, uh, you know, hopes and dreams. Last year, Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore were like disastrous guys. And a lot of high stakes people pushed them up where Andrew Schellenberg and I actually what had a 20 minute conversation about Devonta Smith versus Kadarius Tony one night in like a slow <laughs> football guys draft. And it's hilarious at this point. All those picks really hurt drafters. Which of the second round wide receivers do you think could really come back to burn people right now? Because it's easy to like a lot of them. Yeah, I, I hate that this is my answer, but I, I have Drake London here. 
and I don't think he's going to burn people. I don't think he's going to, you know, be Kadarius Tony or Elijah Moore. I'm I'm eight spots lower than ADP. Where do you have him? Um, eight spots lower than ADP. Whatever that is, <laughs> like mid mid twenties. Let me pull it up. I'm at twenty six, and I've been yeah, getting yeah, pushback. I'm twenty seven. Twenty seven. And again, same same theme. It's the Falcons' offense. Yep, it's run first. Thirty first in pass attempts last year. Thirty first in pass rate over expected. And Art Art Smith is still there. He he's not he's not going to air it out. I mean, they and might they're throw drafting Bijan. And if they draft Bijan, <laughs> London is in serious trouble. And they also are now rumored to be heavily involved with drafting a wide receiver in the second round. And there's some Atlanta media people saying that they might be the landing spot for DeAndre Hopkins. It's just Sick, sick, sick stuff. I love Drake. Yeah. You know what that, that is, really right? Wrong. They need to be able to deter from the run game. So they're just going to have everyone run <laughs> so they can run. <laughs> it's like a kid's a kid's flag football offense. You just have everybody run exactly. straight lines and then hand it to the fast guy, Bijan Robinson. Um, Billy, this is a depressing conversation because we don't really want to pour water on any of these guys. Who could be the one that could really burn people this year? I think it could be Pickens, uh, and we're starting to see the ADP already correct the last you know days since Allen Robinson news. But I think that signals that they don't fully trust him as the number two right now. I mean, it's clear that Deontay Johnson has been the number one. This offense commands a target share, but and Allen Robinson isn't what he has been in his career. He's he's in the words of Theo dusted now. Um, but I would say that any addition to the receiving core in this offense is not a good thing for Pickens. Um, and and uh, he, his ability to be able to kind of beat defenders and be stronger and, and win on contested catches, that's what he's now going to have to rely on, where we were hoping for an increase in volume. I don't think we're going to see the increase that we were probably projecting, you know, as of last week or even earlier this week. And we had to make those adjustments. And I think that overall it's going to hinder his ability to potentially break out in 2023. Shout out to Jason Allwine. Uh, Pickens and Chase are the only wide receivers under 24 that had 90% route participation in 2022. So Jason is not on that call, Billy. This is really. I would really also difficult. like to state, though, that Jason compared um, w- Christian Watson to Randy Moss. So we'll just leave that out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's spicy, Jason. That is spicy. Um, I, this is This is really difficult because I feel like a lot of the guys, I feel like it's more of a you have to have a certain level of risk tolerance with all of these, these players because you have less of a sample size. It's a guy that I'm actually very bullish on, but I'll present kind of a counter argument. I think Traylon Burks is really going to hit this year. I think he's going to have a big target share, and I think he's going to be a guy who returns value at ADP. But I could see things really, really falling apart in Tennessee, and Traylon Burks would also sink with the ship. So he's a guy that I have more faith in as a dynasty asset than I do a redraft asset this year, despite the, all the vacated targets. Um, but it's depressing for, for me to even talk about this one guys. Um, wanted to, wanted to also talk about just a macro level stuff. Last week we had Mike Leone on, and this is, this was a very interesting topic. Every off season we talk about like trying to find values at these positions. But I think if we take a step back and just identify breakout offenses, all the players kind of rise with 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 these these explosive offenses. Philadelphia last year is a great example of this, where you saw Jalen Hurts beat his ADP, Devonta Smith beat his ADP, AJ Brown crushes ADP, Dallas Goddard crushes ADP, Miles Sanders crushes ADP. If you just took Philadelphia Eagles, you were in a good spot. What are some offenses right now, Jared, that you think are going to vastly improve from last year, where you could see the players just kind of rising rising with the tide? 
So my yeah. big one is the my big one is the Browns. I'll I'll, I'll leave the that was mine, Jared. You just took you're you're too sharp. We can't have this guy on anymore. But that's a great answer. Go with that. Yeah, and and you know the Browns passing game specifically. Um, I just think they're about to make a pretty big shift towards the pass. You just look at the moves they made. Obviously, the the big Deshaun Watson move. They trade for Amari Cooper. They give David and Joku a big contract. They trade for Elijah Moore this offseason. They haven't re-signed Kareem Hunt yet. So and they're not. They've, of, they've clarified. They said he's slow. They said we're not bringing him back. He's lost a step, which was ice yeah. cold. But it's a great sign. I love it. Yeah. So I just, th- I just think is, this is going to be Deshaun Watson's offense. And you know, speaking of Watson, like I, it was ugly last year. I get that, but I, I'm still a believer. I mean, this guy was out of football for what, like two years. Then he comes in mid-season in a new offense with all these new weapons. Like I wasn't surprised he struggled. But I think I think he's going to bounce back in in a big way in, in 2023. Love it. I love that answer. I think that the writing's on the wall with what they're going to do. I think Nick Chubb becomes a very good value just based on the opportunities he's going to have inside the red zone. I love your bullish take on Ninjoku. We already saw Amari Cooper last year, and then Elijah Moore could bounce back. It's, a, it's an offense I want to bet on as well. Billy, you, we're going to take away your number one answer because last week you you talked about the Chargers at length. Give yeah, me another offense, another another offense that you could be your bullish on because I'm gonna have to pivot now too. <laughs> I was gonna say the Chargers again. <laughs> um, I'll go. I, I'll go first. I, yeah, go ahead. So I, I briefly touched on. I think Chicago. I think Chicago is going to make massive leaps forward. I, I think that that's kind of a cheap answer because they were so poor last year. But I think it could be dramatic, where I think they could take a massive leap forward. It's going to be Eberflus's second year. It's going to be Justin Fields with more more experience in the offense with and having the same offensive scheme is going to be big for Justin Fields. Um, they added Chase Claypool to end last year. I love the overall speed at the wide receiver position. They bring in Robert Tunyon as a as a tight end too. I like that, um, and I like the fact that they have a, 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 a dual threats at running back with the player I can't talk about and Khalil Herbert, uh, Billy's favorite running back in the league. So I'll say Chicago as a team that makes a dramatic leap forward in terms of scoring. I think they can move up like 12 spots in terms of like points per game. Thanks, for not, thanks for not saying his name. That's appreciated. I can't. I'm, I'm not allowed to. It's like it's like saying Lord Voldemort. You, know, you just can't say it. <laughs> there you go. You can't say Voldemort. <laughs> um, for me, it's the Lions if I can't say uh the Chargers and I like what the Lions did, right? And I've talked about this on previous pods, and I just like what Dan Campbell has done with this team and what this this the the team in general has done. Campbell's brought grit to this team, right? And we joke around and talk about them biting kneecaps all the time, but it's a real thing when you are able to change the culture of a team. And they had this losing mentality, and we saw that changing last year. And people have heard me say I threw a hundred dollars and then win a division last year. Now it looks like they might actually be the favorites this year to win the division. So we look at what they've done, though. That grit has transpired into culture. Um, and we've seen that result down the stretch where they went 8-2 and two to finish their last 10 games in 2022. I think that carries over. I love the fact they went out and they added another you know, dynamic back. I think that... It did, you know, dynamic, I say, with kind of a, you know, emphasis that want to put the, you know, quotations here because he's more skilled than Jamal Williams was. But now they have a good combination between David Montgomery and DeAndre Swift. 
you know, both are going to be, you know, capable in the passing game. They, Jamison Williams now hoping to see a full healthy season who's going to be able to stretch the field, right? They, they still have Amon Ross St. Brown. We talked about him earlier in the podcast who has just been, you know, anything short but magnificent here. And then, you know, I love the veteran signing where they go out and bring back Marvin Jones. You know me, I've been a Marvin Jones fan for years. Um, Billy, just, you have to talk about Marvin Jones literally every <laughs> single show. I do. Yeah, yeah you got to get your it. guy. I mean, round 20 pick in best ball, you can you can pick a lot worse, I think. And he's, you literally have to scroll to find him in a lot of these apps to, to be able to take him in round 20. But when you're looking at break, uh, not break, we're looking at a couple spike weeks, you know you're going to get it, right? He's going to have those two, three games where he's going to score a touchdown, have 60, 70 yards or whatever it may be. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off. But like, I won't go into, we can do a whole pot of Marvin Jones another time. I'm not going to do that. But I think in general, this offense is is on the is on the rise and that grit has not only carried over from the defense but also to the offense and we're going to see them continue to climb inside the, the overall charts i'm going to reach out to marvin jones himself for that one hour marvin Please. jones appreciation pod I love it i bet we can get him for that one <laughs> uh, billy billy and uh and jared we're, we're almost in an hour here so i want to we're not quite lightning but we're almost lightning round tears are very important but selecting the correct player is still the name of the game especially when it comes to the wide receiver position. We see two pockets in the early draft where there are wide receiver clusters. Jared, choose one player, Stephon Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, or Devontae Adams. I have CeeDee Lamb ranked uh, just ahead of Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, 28% target share last year, set career highs in yards per outrun and PFF receiving grade. Like I just think, I'm not saying Diggs and Adams are falling off a cliff, but like there's – more of a risk of decline with those guys than CD Lamb, who there's a good chance he's still getting better at this point. Billy, we already touched on D- Devontae Adams versus CD Lamb. Throw Stefan Diggs in that mix. Which of these three would you take? I have Lamb ranked ahead of all of them. I think he's my wide receiver four or five. I'm on Lamb as well. I, I love him. I think that we talked about Dallas offense. We're all on Lamb there. Okay, this one becomes a little more interesting. And I've kind of, it's a little bit larger of a, of a grouping here. A.J. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddell, and then the up-and-coming Garrett Wilson. Jared, pick one of these four. Yeah, it's St. Brown for me. Um, I have him ranked highest. And it's again, it's, it's the, volume, the volume we talked about before, and I, I have him projected for uh, significantly more targets than these other guys. I was going to say you probably could have put him in with the previous group, and I would have taken him yes. ahead of ahead of one of one or if not two of them. Yeah, I've made the argument for taking Amon Ross St. Brown in the first round plenty of times, and I, I like that. Billy and I we actually did that when we did our our show where we best balled. Um, but to me, AJ Brown, the fact that it's year two, he could just go nuclear, and I think we're going to see better game scripts because Philadelphia has lost so much on the defensive side of the ball. Here's a very interesting cluster, and these guys are almost going side by side, and it's followed up by a tear break. So this one we really want to nail. DK Metcalf, Chris Olave, T. Higgins. Jared, give me one that you want from these three. Yeah, I have no like strong take here, but I, I have DK Metcalf ranked highest among these three. Um, he actually got unlucky in the touchdown department last season. He tied for 19th among wide receivers in actual touchdowns. He was third among wide receivers and expected touchdowns. He was getting those end zone and those red zone targets. So um, I have some concerns about Geno Smith. He did tail off over the second half of last season, but DK is just so good. I don't, I don't think it's going to matter a whole lot. 
I have a, a I have a love again with the previous group. So I actually have them five points ahead of Garrett Wilson. I have them ahead of Jalen Waddle. Um, I have DK Metcalf half a point behind T Higgins right now. That's where I think the conversation gets interesting. I agree with Jared here. They did get unlucky in touchdown department. However, I did I do kind of project Gino to regress <clears throat> this year, and um, that's why I have him as wide receiver number fifteen. Yeah, I think it's an important tier to hit, and I think all three of them are going to have nice seasons. Um, but I'm I'm on Olave. I just think he's going to be a rocket ship this year, and I think he takes a big big step forward. Calvin Ridley or Christian Kirk, Jared. With you could roster one Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. wide receiver, which one are you going with? I, I'm taking shots on Ridley right now, and Kirk's definitely safer. You know, we haven't seen Ridley. Oh, I'm in, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong spot. Um, I just think Ridley has a better chance to like emerge as like a true alpha in Jacksonville because we we've seen him do it right. Last two times we saw Calvin Ridley, 24.7 and 25.9% target shares. Christian Kirk has topped out at 23.3%. He was at 22.3% last year. And, and uh, Calvin Ridley, go back to 2020. I, I know it's a while ago now, but he had 2.44 yards per out run that season. That That's a level Christian Kirk has never even sniffed. I, I think Kirk's a, a good player. I think he's like a nice number two wide receiver in the NFL. If you're getting the 2020 or 2021 version of Calvin Ridley. I, I just think he's Jacksonville's best receiver. I think that the bull argument for them is that they're close. And I think that Christian Kirk is getting drafted later. So I'll take the cheaper of the two. I think the more likely outcome is both of them are pretty good, but I'll take the cheaper one who's younger. And we already saw him, you know, have success with Trevor Lawrence. Billy, you're on that same train, or is there anything else? Yeah, this this actually blew up on Twitter on the main post for player profiler when I said that Ridley was the you know the B in this offense, and and that Christian Kirk was the A. I have a lot of concerns when someone hasn't played football in a year and a half, right? We haven't seen him come back since I think week seven, 2021. Um, in that time, he was in on a different offense, a different division with a different coach, the different quarterback. All those things have changed. And whenever I do projections, if I have any one of those being listed, it's typically a downgrade inside my projections for an individual, right? If you are, if you have a new quarterback, there's going to be some chemistry concerns. If you're in with a new coach and you still have your same quarterback, there's going to be some hiccups in the offense kind of clicking, right? If you have a new team and all these new things as well, you have to consider all of those factors with a new division. And so there's a lot of those red flags that I ignored on some players last year that ended up biting me where it went against, I went against my own rule and it hurt me. <laughs> I'm going back to it this year and saying, I'm not going to ignore these red flags. And there's something to be said about being in shape. And there's something to be said about being in NFL shape and being up to game speed. And I know that Ridley has been keeping himself in shape. However, I think that that is not quite to the same level as being a game ready. I think he's going to have some rust. We look at what Deshaun Watson did last year. I know it's a different position, and I know people are going to say you can't compare the two because one's playing quarterback and has to learn schemes and the offense and know all the defense and things. I understand that, but there's a lot of similarities as well of having rust and be able to, you know, get back on the field and get back in the swing of things. And so, you know, the receiver still has to look at the defenders and and know which way and some routes, which way he's going to go. And so there's going to be a lot of miscommunication I think in this offense at first with Ridley and with and and with uh, Trevor Lawrence I do think that he's going to be fine but we also have to look back and say when he was very successful Julio Jones was also still 
Julio Jones-ish, right? He wasn't Julio Jones we know of today to where he actually took on a lot of the the defensive attention where Ridley was able to run pretty wild against the number two or even sometimes, you know, the number three in that in that defense. So there was times where he was beating people who were maybe less than stellar, where if he's technically labeled as the one, he's going to be facing off against the number one corner at times. And now at that point, again, he's 28. He's he's now patched past the age apex on a new team with a new coach, with a new division, with with a lot of, you know, hiccups. Can he beat that number one coverage and overcome all of these chemistry concerns? And that's why I'm lower on him first consensus. So we're hit. We hit over an hour here. We're at an hour. Oh, five. Um, before we get out of here last week, uh, Mike Leone said Daniel Jones is the best quarterback value on the board right now in early best ball drafts. Billy was on Lamar Jackson and I was on Deshaun Watson. Where are you at, Jared, in terms of an early quarterback value? I, I can't believe I'm going to end the show like this because my answer is so gross. But I, I'm I'm way higher than ADP on Kenny Pickett. <laughs> it's the pass volume. You got yeah yeah that's part of it. So I think you know the volume is going to be solid. I like the weapons. I'm not including Allen Robinson because I think he's total toast. But I like you know Deontay and Pickens and Fry and Muth and Najee and Jalen Warren. Like that's that's solid. Um, Kenny Pickett can can run a bit too, right? In his 10 full games last year, he averaged four and a half carries per game, 19 rushing yards per game. That's that's pretty solid production. Um, and did, did you guys know that Kenny Pickett led the NFL in PFF passing grade over the final five weeks of last season? It's, it's, know. It, you know, it's a little a little funky. I don't buy it. But like he, he obviously improved throughout his rookie season and he could take another step forward in year two. I love it. Kenny Pickett, that's a great value late, according to Jared Smola. Jared, let everybody know where they can find your awesome work and the pods you're going to be putting out. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at SmolaDS, and then all my work is at Draft Sharks. Again, all the 2023 projections and rankings are up there. So no matter what you know league you're drafting in, we got we got customized rankings for you. Yeah, and I, I retweeted uh, Jared's takeaways, um, or you can check that out from earlier today on my Twitter feed. Um, Billy, what do you have coming up um, with the with the Dominator? Um, Dominator is tomorrow with Matt, but, um, after this, like as soon as this ends, I'm about to record in about 10, 15 minutes with Dario. And today it's not man versus machine. It's man and machine. Cause we agree on all these rankings and we're going to talk about why ADP is wrong. Um, I think that's Dario throwing in the hat cause he's lost three debates straight according to the polls, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's another discussion, but man and machine today united t- talking about why ADP is wrong and why the algorithm matches the man and the rankings. And check out our show yesterday with Dwayne McFarlane. It was a great one. We touched on a lot of the rookies for coming up in the NFL draft. Dwayne's favorite rookies to draft. And check out the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast from last night. We had a mock draft special with Scott Connor, Jax Falcone, Memphis Young, uh, Cody Carpenter. Uh, it was fantastic. Obviously, Matt and Allen as well. That was a great, great, great process. Uh, this was awesome today, guys. I'm Theo Greminger. Uh, thanks to our guest, Jared Smola and Billy Muzio, as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, everyone. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe. 
data analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.